Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Matthew chapter 13? Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. So we'll be in God's Word together this morning. Uh, as Sam said, I'm, I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here. Really thankful to uh, be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, and I'm excited uh, because we're beginning a new sermon series entitled Sacred Practices. Um, we will remain in this sermon series for the duration uh, of the summer, and we'll have a few guest uh, preachers come uh, here and there, but we will come back to the sacred practices uh, because we want to spend time framing the spiritually rooted life. Uh, when we are rooted in Christ, we bear fruit. We bear the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of the kingdom of God. Uh, we, we, we here at this church, we long to see spiritual renewal uh, in this worshiping community, wherein we see lives changed and community formed by believing the gospel, belonging to community, and becoming more like Christ. Um, a question I receive fairly regularly is something to the effect of, how can I grow as a Christian? Uh, Christians are called to maturity and sanctification and formation, uh, but we don't always know how to pursue that. So we're going to spend some time this summer prayerfully considering that. Uh, what are the spiritual disciplines or sacred practices that move us toward maturity in Christ? We're going to look at eight practices, and they're also posted under the formation tab on our website, and it's not necessarily an exhaustive list, uh, but we believe these practices will help facilitate growth to maturity as a Christian. And so we'll spend time looking at each of them, and we want to invite you across this series to consider uh, how you might incorporate them uh, in your life so that you can feel more clear in answering the question, how can I grow as a Christian? And so today, we will begin with looking at the sacred practice called the rule of life, a practice that has its origins traced back to the early monastic movement of the fourth century. I imagine some of us uh, might chafe when we hear about rules. Uh, rules can feel depersonalizing or like going through the motions. In the early days of my walk with Christ, people would say a common slogan that Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. I don't know if that slogan is still floating around these days, but the idea was that doing all the ritualistic things doesn't guarantee that you actually know God. Uh, and so the critique from the slogan is that it's not enough to just come to church. Uh, it's not enough to, to do Bible study and say the prayers. You, you must actually connect with the subject of your prayers and the Bible, the true and living God. And so there was often a suspicion or a cynicism around the notion of rules since the Christian faith is not based on works. Uh, but I'm not just talking about rules this morning. I'm talking about rule. Uh, rule of life points to rhythms and structure. Uh, what, what are the rhythms that lead to maturity in Christ? And, and we all, to some degree, understand the importance of rhythms. I mean, if we, want to, if we say we want to be healthy, that takes rhythms. And you can complain about having to brush your teeth over and over again if you want to, 
But you know that if you don't do the ritual, it will lead somewhere, namely bad breath and rotten teeth. And I thank God that y'all do that ritual even when you don't feel it. And you might not like having to budget or, or manage your money over and over again, but you know that if you don't have a ritual, a rhythm for your money, it will lead to financial disarray. We all live by a rule of life. And the question is, does that rule of life cultivate a rootedness in Christ? In other words, what is the form of your formation? We are all being formed around and towards something. And for the Christian, we should be formed around and towards Christ. But what is the form of your formation? To help us answer that question, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, we see Jesus standing on a boat giving a farming parable to a crowd as they stand on a beach. Farmers definitely understand the importance of rhythms and structure. Uh, they, they know that if they want a harvest, they must pay attention to the form, the, the rituals, the rhythms of the formation of the fields. And Jesus takes this notion of farming and uses it to express the relationship between the kingdom of God and the human heart. And so I want us to consider our rule of life as we look at this passage this morning. So if you're able, I invite you to stand as we give attention to God's word from Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. That same, same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, but they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord, I thank you that you are the everlasting God. And because of that, we need not fear anything, but we can set our hope on you. And so in this moment, would you help us to hope in you and the truth and foundation of your word? But I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Harvey Henderson Wilcox desired Christian formation. Uh, Harvey was a real estate developer in the late 1800s. 
He lived in Kansas, and he had an idea with his wife to move out west to California. They wanted to move out west and develop what he called a life of Christian temperance. He bought 150 acres of land to create a space that was dedicated for Christians across denominations to come worship and be formed to grow closer to God. He let his wife name this parcel of land. She named it Hollywood. Hollywood. That's right. This parcel of land that was meant to be a Christian utopia that was dedicated to being a place for Christians to experience spiritual formation was Hollywood. Now, Hollywood is known for many things, but it is not known for being a place of Christian spiritual formation. But it does give formation, doesn't it? I imagine that if Harvey Henderson Wilcox peered down over the balcony of heaven, he would be disappointed with where his Christian utopia ended up. And the natural question is, what happened? How did it end up this way? There's endless stories in history of people, places, and things that, that where they started is not where they ended up. And the question becomes, what happened? And I believe that is a question of formation. What, what is the form of this formation? How, how is formation being shaped? I imagine for many of us in here, we, uh, we are... Um, we know what it's like uh, to, to ask that kind of question. Uh, ha- have you ever looked at the state of your life and wondered, how did I end up here? Uh, well, where we are is not where we expected to be. Ha- have you ever looked at your family and just wondered, how did we end up here? Have you ever looked at your job and just wondered, how did we get here? This is not where I was aiming, yet this is where I find myself. Formation comes from these incremental moments of yeses and nos. Even if they they seem insignificant, they are charting a course for your life. What are the incremental, seemingly insignificant yeses and nos that are aiming your life, even if you don't see where it's headed? A man once said that if you want to know who you will become, look at who you are becoming. Jesus raises this question of formation in a parable in our passage this morning. When Jesus gave parables, he was always pointing to important spiritual principles. In this parable, he is pointing to the principles of the spiritual life. How does our heart respond to the word of God's kingdom? Jesus lays out four different soils. The path, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. 
And we learn the meanings of these soils later in the chapter. In verses 18 through 23, Jesus explains these soils. The seed is God's word and the soil is people's hearts. And what we see here is Jesus diagnosing the state of people's spiritual life. He's exposing the form of people's lives that lead to formation. So let's look together at these different soils. The first soil, the first person is the path. The the sower throws out the seed of God's word and it doesn't penetrate the path. And the word is devoured. This is the person that is hard-hearted towards the gospel. Uh, Their default is resistance or numbness to the gospel. Now, now here's what I believe to be true about the hard-hearted person. A big reason they are hard-hearted is that they have been trampled. Uh, That's what Jesus is implying by saying this person is the path. How are paths formed? That they are formed by people repeatedly coming through and trampling all over the vegetation and the life until it's too hard for anything to grow. I have encountered a lot of people that are resistant or numb to the gospel. And more often than not, what they are resistant to, what they are numb to, is being trampled again. They have lived a life where, where openness and vulnerability is, is foolishness and weakness. They, they have learned some messaging somewhere that, that to be safe, you, you must be hardened. You, you, you must be in control of your own life. And the gospel is preached. It's a gospel of openness and vulnerability and it's too difficult to be open. Because obviously, it's a guarantee that the world will fail you, but what will God do? Will God fail me too? I have been trampled by that kind of pain before. When I talk with people that are deconstructing or de-churching or walking away from the faith, whatever uh, phraseology you use, Uh, Most of the time, I want to say all the time, but I don't have that good a memory, but most of the time, it is not about the front-facing issue. It's not about whether or not the Bible is trustworthy. It's not about if hell exists. It's not about if the church is too much this or not enough that. All these intellectual concerns are entry points. And I want to encourage those of us that are deconstructing or caring for people that are deconstructing, don't just stop at the entry point. Don't don't just stop at the front porch of the concerns. Yes, those concerns matter. There are so many resources that address those concerns. But what I'm wondering is, where have you been trampled in that area? Where have you seen the pain and, and betrayal? Where do you have the footprint of heartache? that has led to that questioning because it's never purely intellectual. It is always something personal and it's usually something personally painful. Where have you or someone that you love been trampled and that has hardened you to the gospel? And so now you're here 
You've shown up. You're sitting in the pew, but you're not really here. You're not quite open. You're not quite receptive. You're still guarded. You're still numb. The soil of the path. We see the second soil in verse 5 and 6. The rocky ground that had shallow soil. So here the the sower sows and the seed springs up really fast. But it does not have roots that reach deep enough into the nutrients, and so it withers when the scorching weather comes. According to Jesus, this is the person that gladly and quickly receives the word, but just as quickly falls away once trouble comes because they have no roots. This is the person that is not actually rooted in Christ. They are rooted in their environment. Their roots don't go any deeper than the soil they are in. And so when when they are in church, they're really in church, excited to be in church. But when they're in other places, like their class or their work or their family or the club, some other environment that is not so Jesus-y as the church, they're unrecognizable. They're, They're different. They've fallen away. They are withered. They cannot withstand the tribulation and or persecution that comes from the scorching weather of this world. And so they are in danger of two extremes. Either they are constantly wishy-washy and unreliable in their faith, or they live isolated from the world in a Christian bubble. And they're unable to interact with the outside world. They're unable to engage missions or evangelism. They're unable to engage in justice or oppression. They're unable to enter in because the environment is too hot. And they don't know how to withstand the heat. And so they're very enthusiastic initially. And then they see what it really takes to live this gospel life. And they fall away because they're not rooted in Christ. They're rooted in the environment of the church. And don't misunderstand me. It is actually important to be in fellowship and in community. Please come to church. You should come to church. But we cannot come to church thinking that we will escape the scorching weather of sin and suffering. We cannot escape the scorching winds of evil and brokenness. We can't escape it. And if we are to withstand it, when it confronts us, we must be rooted in Christ. We need something deeper than cultural Christianity. We need something deeper than looking the part. We need to be living the part. Some time ago, I went to a conference, and the conference speaker got up on stage after this long, wonderful time of worship. And folks had hands lifted, and tears were flowing. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. And then the speaker got up on the stage, and the first thing that he said was, some of you are on fire for God, and others of you think you are on fire for God, but you're actually standing next to someone on fire, and you're just feeling their heat. What he was pointing out was that just because you're in an environment of growth, that doesn't mean you're actually rooted. Your roots must go deeper than your environment. You must reach into Christ, who is the one.
one that proclaims, take heart for I have overcome the world. So be rooted in me. Verse 7, we see the, the third soil. The third soil is the thorny soil. Where, where the seed grows, but so do the weeds. That's what thorns are indicating here. Jesus says, this is the person who, whose life is choked out by the cares and riches of this world. This is the person that is more consumed with growth than they are with fruitfulness. Not all growth is fruit. And this person is consumed by growing their riches, their platform, their accomplishments, their self-worth, their health, their reputation, but they're, they're not prioritizing bearing fruit from the gospel. It's enough for them to have money and reputation. It's enough for them to have a good job and benefits. It's, it's enough for them to have the thorns and thistles of life, and there's no regard for their unfruitfulness. Sure, you've grown your bank account. Sure, you, you, you've grown your achievements. But what are you offering to the Lord? Are, are you clear on the fruit that God wants to bear through your life? Don't settle for the thorns. They will not abide. They will not enable us to bear the fruit of the kingdom. We are called to be fruitful, not just to grow. Verse 8, we see the good soil. The good soil, it produces. It produces grain, uh, some hundred, sixty, and thirtyfold. And this does not blow our minds, but it would blow the minds of the original audience because these people know that to be fruitful, this fruitful, was extraordinary. It was hard to imagine such explosive growth. And while it could happen in the ancient Near East, a good harvest was 10, maybe 15-fold at most. But in this story, we're looking at extraordinary fruitfulness, a variety of 160 and 30-fold. No matter where you find yourself in this harvest, you are very happy with the results. This is some very good soil. And Jesus says... This is the person that receives the word and understands. This person is open. This person is ready to, to see the kingdom of God manifested in their life. Amen. Hallelujah. And so Jesus ends in verse 9. He ends his parable, his story, by saying, He who has ears, let him hear. He's calling for a response to the parable. Now, I want to be careful about how we apply this story to our lives. Because naturally, Jesus is saying, or Jesus is laying out these, these four categories of people, and, and clearly only one of them is, quote unquote, good soil. But we should be careful because the danger is that you hear these four soils and start trying to figure out which one you are and make sure you're solidly in the fourth soil, right? But, but, but I don't actually believe that Jesus was thinking so categorically. 
I don't think he was placing these people over here and those people over there. And if you want to be a real Christian, you better find your way in that fourth category quick and in a hurry. I think Jesus was using this story to describe the spiritual life of every believer. I do. The question is not which soil am I? The question is where am I in my spiritual life? We all have moments in our faith journey where we are hardened or shallow or distracted and suffocated and also fruitful. That is the spiritual life. And I believe that's what Jesus was describing, describing because of who he was talking to. As you read chapter 13, we see that he doesn't explain the parable to the crowd. He, he speaks to the crowd, but he turns and explains the parable to his disciples. He wants his disciples to understand the fruitful spiritual life. And when I look at the spiritual life of the disciples, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, those jokers were not always good soil. Oh, no, they were not. They, they toggled back and forth between soils, sometimes in the same conversation. And so do we. Oh, I wish I had two or three witnesses right there that'd be honest and say amen. I'm talking about you right now. You, you can say amen right there because y'all know that if somebody pulled out the roll of footage of your life, they would not always see good soil. And you go ahead and pretend if you want to. I'll just go ahead and tell my own testimony that if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I would be. I need God to work in my life and his work is still cut out for him. But thanks be to God for his grace. <laughs> his grace that, that pardons and, and cleanses within his grace. Thanks be to God that his grace that is greater than all my sin. Hallelujah. For his grace. Because he works in the lives of our soil wherever we are. We always need him. In whatever season of the soil that we're in. The other dangerous application is this. You, you might hear the story and think, how can I make myself the good soil? I, I, I don't want to be hardened. I don't want to be shallow. I don't want to be distracted. How do I get over to the good soil? And that's a good question, but the danger is that you hear the story and you start thinking how to do better, do better, try harder, try harder. And that's why so many people are frustrated and discouraged in their spiritual life. Because they assume that the spiritual life is only happening in the good soil. And they're trying their best efforts to get there. They're trying their best efforts to be there. And it's just not happening. And so they, they come into this Christian environment. They come and they pretend. They pretend they're doing okay. But deep down, they are so frustrated with the state of their soul. 
And the frustration is, soil can't change itself. Soil changes because it is plowed and tilled by the farmer. I'm preaching already, you just missed it. This story is not ultimately about the soils. It is about the sower getting what he wants out of the soil. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13 says it is God at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hebrews 12.2 says that it is God that we are looking to, Jesus who are looking to, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It is the farmer that plows and, and tills the, the soil. And we, we get to rest and surrender. And in a microwave culture, we, uh, we would love to see a 30, 60, 100-fold harvest in our lives. We want that instantly, and we want it every day, don't we? But no farmer carries that expectation for his soil. He, he works and remains consistent in all the seasons of the seed time and harvest. He is faithful. He does not abandon his soil because he loves his soil and he is intent to bring good fruit out of his soil. He keeps coming back. He, he keeps laboring over. He keeps giving his best efforts over. He never leaves. He never forsakes it. And that, that's the spiritual life. So where are you in your spiritual life? What, what is the form of your formation? You might be hardened right now. Maybe, maybe you are wishy-washy and shallow. Maybe you are distracted and suffocated. Maybe you are actually fruitful. But how are you being shaped in this season? The call from the passage is to surrender to the sower and yield the formation that's happening in the field. But thanks be to God that you're in the field. I've had a three-year battle with my yard. Uh, I moved into my house a few years ago, and I am a novice home buyer. And one thing I didn't think to examine uh, was the yard. I assumed that because the yard was cut low and it was green, that this means the yard is healthy. I quickly learned that that is not the case. Uh, when I moved into this house, I realized that is not true. The weeds have mercy. These, these weeds, they got superpowers. They grow so fast. And I realized I needed to treat my yard. And so I hired a professional to come work on it. And one of the first things he said when he examined my yard was um, that there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> um, because my yard actually barely had any grass. Um, that it was basically all weeds. And so he could help me. He could help get some grass. But it was going to be a rough process. 
And I told him, go ahead, I, I would like some grass in my yard. And it has been rough. And th there have been moments where my yard looked like a desert because he, he came and he, he killed the weeds, but there was still no grass. There, there have been moments where he walked through the yard and he was pulling up actual buckets of rocks that were beneath the surface, keeping the grass from growing. He went through this process of putting down topsoil and, and fertilizer to actually get some growth happening. And my yard just looked like a giant pile of dirt. It didn't look good. It was long, it was rough and inconsistent. And I still have work to do, it's in progress. But you know what? All along the way, it was still my yard. When the soil was hard and barren, it was mine. When it was rocky and unproductive, and seemingly resistant, it was mine. When it was just dirt, it was mine. No matter the state of the soil, the yard was mine. And I keep working to bring fruitfulness out of it. When we talk about the spiritual life, when we talk about a rule of life, we're trying to give some form to our formation so that we can be fruitful. You know, and by the way, the City Fellowship that's coming up, our first topic will be on the rule of life. So we encourage you to come to that. We'll get real practical there. But that's where we want to, to end up, don't we? That's where we want to be headed. As the kingdom of God comes to, to full revelation in and through us, we, we do not want to take for granted that this happens without the incremental moments of saying yes to the sower. Wherever we are, dry, hardened season, on down to extraordinary fruitfulness, we say yes to being shaped, to be tilled and plowed for the word to bring forth life in due season. So in this sermon series, I invite you to consider your formation through these sacred practices and entrust your heart to the sower, for he is with you, plowing and tilling to bring glory to his name. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to conclude with a prayer written by theologian Richard Foster. Uh, so I want you to pray this with me. Spirit of the living God, be the gardener of my soul. Clear away the dead growth of the past. Break up the hard clods of custom and routine. Stir in the rich compost of vision and challenge. Bury deep in my soul the implanted word. Cultivate and tend our hearts until new life buds and opens and flowers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.